Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Samantha. How are we? Well, well, we are great. And when I mean great, I mean we are swell because I went to Super Taste. I got some dumplings. Mm. Nothing gets better than that. No, literally not. The only thing that would get better than that is if it were like unlimited supply. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, I'm putting some feelers out the there. A dumpling buffet. Whoa. Oh my god! Business idea. <laughs> Wait, that would be so sick if there were like a dumpling buffet. You would have to like roll me home like every single time. Like I would not <laughs> be able because there's I have no control. You no. Like, no no I would also be unwell for the on the how are yous that was on the like positive and then for the lols I was texting you about this but I feel like I hope everyone else find this finds this as hilarious as I did but. Yesterday, we were, like, thinking about, like, a TikTok or whatever, and there's this TikTok. Like, go check it out, guys, if you haven't seen it yet. And there's, like, this creator that was being, like, stitch this with, like, something that would be, like, a better senator, someone or something that would be a better senator than Ted Cruz. And Maddie was, like, wait, piles of, like, New York City trash. I was, like, I'm on it. Like, excuse me. Like, <laughs> literally was in bed, was, like, excuse me while I put my outfit back on and go around the streets. Did that. And then one of, I don't know if it was just, like, someone that saw the video or follow or whatever. But she commented, like, the funniest freaking thing. She was like, honey, like, that is Ted Cruz, like, about the trash. (laughs) And I immediately was like, wait, 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 wait. Like, dog shit also sometimes, like, wears, like, a trash bag. Like, they have similar outfits. And so then I, when I went to get my coffee, I also spent a half hour walking around my neighborhood looking for a pile of dog shit to video. (laughs) Like, I was, like, literally recapping... I just what like we're what did just you do true today? content like, creators. That's our job. <laughs> just walking filming around the streets of New York City, filming piles of trash and looking for dog shit to also film. So this is what we do for you guys. You know, like this is it's... what we do for the greater good for for this country. As Charlie Crist, representative from Florida, said, "You are saving America," and we appreciate him and we appreciate those those words and. This is just an example of how we're doing that. So speaking of, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go check it out. And it's just like a little refresh. Like Maddie said, representative from Florida running for governor of Florida 
who previously was the governor of Florida, but as a Republican and has since switched parties to being a Democrat. A lot of his platform has changed since then. So very interesting conversation that we had about his political career and also what his campaign means, what he's trying to do in that position, et cetera, et cetera. So go check it out. Sweet man. Sweet, sweet. sweet. And yeah, he, Wait, how are, he did how indeed you? say we're saving America. Um, how am I? I'm mm-hmm. good. I'm good. I, yep. I don't have any stories like you You don't do. have any trauma? You didn't film any shit on a street? No, but I actually also was, I, I told you, I was like, leave it to me. You do the piles of trash in New York City. I'll do the human shit on the sidewalk. San Francisco, like we have, we have plenty to go around. So the problem um, is I just found it too quickly, although it did it really surprise me. Like, I don't know what it's been like in the last year or whatever, but for it's some reason. Comes, but when you're you're so numb to it every day, like you don't think about it, that it's there. But then when you go look for it, you're it's like, gone. oh, shit, it's no, no, no it's, it was like it's there. It's much oh. easier to find because usually really, you probably are like, oh, I wonder if I can go find some dog shit. And then it's like, oh, wait, it's everywhere. <laughs> it really wasn't though it was so weird it was like don't get me wrong like lots of trash every lots of like you know gross things whatever because like you know just New York classic in the summer like whatever and I literally could not find dog shit it was ridiculous I was like oh now today is the day the dog res- the dog owners are responsible because it's I ridiculous like the, I could not find the last year shit. it's gotten so bad like one of those things where you're like okay guys Guys, is there baby formula shortage and poop bag shortage? Must be, must be what's happening. I mean, now there's a freaking tampon shortage. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Craziness, but we need to get into this episode because we we, not only did we just go on the most absurd tangent just right now, but like we go on a few with our guest because she is a friend first and foremost but she is also an amazing advocate for civic literacy and all of those things which we will talk all about with her but I think we just need to get right on into it so we do will you and inter- inter- introduce her <laughs> ma'am ma'am are you well let's get into this conversation like Maddie said one of our friends we have Miss Tennessee yes that is right Miss Tennessee Tally Bevis. So, of course, we dabble into a little bit of the pageant world and get some of the backstory because, shockingly, these two chicks right here were not in pageants. I know. I know. It's a shock to us all. Um, I only just learned to curl my hair. So, if that doesn't tell you anything. But, regardless. I just recently, about a year ago, learned what an eyelash curler was. I don't own one of those. Changed my life. They look scary. They look really scary. Like, oh, it kind of looks oh, like something you, like, one. see at the they're gyno. fantastic. Really? Uh, well, I feel yeah. like I've heard nightmares where, like, they're like, oh, my God. Like, they, like they no, they are scary looking. No, no. I, well, my thing is, God, fucking tangent. Really quick. Sorry, My guys. lashes are long, but they're kind of, like, straight out, so I have to curl them. And then when I curl them, they're just, like, it looks like I'm wearing mascara. It's just, like, my eyelashes just go straight out. Huh. So then, like, I need an eyelash curler. Anyways, sorry, please, without further ado, us. Noted, noted. Anyways, everyone let us know your thoughts on eyelash curlers. But in the meantime, without further ado, here is Tally. <laughs> so, currently, you are Miss Tennessee. And we, we gotta know, what is pageant life like? What is the day-to-day? Walk us through what that means. 
Yeah, well, first, I'm just so excited to be here. I know that my entire year and Miss America organization is built on powerful young women. And I'm so honored because I feel like now I have two more powerhouse women in my life. And you guys have the most amazing brand and you're just building such a cool community. And I feel like my dumb questions are not as dumb when you guys answer them. So I'm a big fan of the podcast, but pageant life is kind of crazy. I always say when I was 18 years old, I was cornered in a nail salon by a lady who was like, I was like, what is her problem? Like she keeps staring (laughs) at me and I'm 25 now. So literally seven years ago, someone completely changed the trajectory of my life just because they saw something in me. And I feel like that's a lot of what politics are about too, right? You see something in someone, you inspire them. You know, y'all were inspired to start this podcast, right? And it sometimes it takes someone seeing it in yourself before you see it for yourself. Yeah. And so I was invited to participate in the organization at a local competition, a preliminary to Miss Tennessee back in 2015. And I was an absolute train wreck, totally horrendous, like could did not know what was going on. We were still called a pageant back in 2015. And fast forward to three times going to Miss Tennessee, being an absolute train wreck my first time in 2020, 2018. And then moving on to 2019, before the pandemic, I was fourth runner up to Miss Tennessee. For the first year, we did not have the swimsuit competition, which was a big shift. And then back after COVID, we had our competition last summer and I walked away as Miss Tennessee and we are a scholarship competition. Miss America is one of the top scholarship providers for women in the U.S. And it's completely shifted my just my skills, my mindset, my communication and also my scholarships. So it's been an amazing, weird, crazy journey. And I never imagined it for myself as a tomboy growing up around boys and as an athlete. So you just never know where you're going to land, right? hundred uh, percent. A thousand percent. And it's just, versus a thousand. yeah, it's giving so Done. much miscongeniality, loving it. And also it's just, I just love that we're all here talking, going to be talking about politics because I think when the world even thinks about pageants and pageant queens, like you're not thinking about politics, but I just love that we can show that it can all intersect and you can be impactful no matter who you are, or where you are. And one piece of the pageant world is this like kind of philanthropic piece of it. So can you kind of explain that side of things and also how you go about picking an issue or a platform to promote through your pageant journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, like I just, I was so not the typical pageant girl. I felt like I never was the right size. I was never the right height. I mean, I'm 5'11", flat-footed, and I'm strong. I have broad shoulders. I'm not a pageant cookie cutter girl. And what I love is that I feel like the Miss America organization is built upon that now. You know, we're over 100 years old now. And as a part of the 100th anniversary class of Miss America, I honestly just was so honored to be a part of it. And one of the coolest things that Miss America has, the hallmark of Miss America, is that for most of its history, there there have been Miss Americas and Miss, you know, state title holders and even local title holders across the country who have literally done the most community service, have d- fundraised the most money in their communities for scholarships. And it's completely changed the trajectory of thousands of women's lives. We have about a thousand local title holders, 51 state title holders, including DC, which we always love. And then of course, a Miss America every year. And you just cannot, you cannot replace time. And when you see that compounded, it's absolutely overwhelming. And one of the things that kept me a part of this organization is our social impact 
element. It's one of the things I think draws women to the sorority life in college is there is always a philanthropy arm to it. And people don't realize that there are a lot of pageanty systems, right, pageants out there. But Miss America is a scholarship organization that's built on academics, higher education for women, pushing women outside of their comfort zone, getting them into the C-suites, getting them into politics, pushing them into their fields with the skills to to completely not only compete with men, but to far surpass them, right? And that's the goal. I mean, in general, I think our goal is to have more women in politics, more women at the top, more, more women in power. The countries that have women in leadership are the most peaceful, at, you know, typically and the most prosperous, which is like, duh, why haven't we figured this out sooner? And so my social impact initiative is something I've built for many years. It's had many different iterations, but it's called Vote with a Vision. And it's an organization that I kind of rebranded in 2019, headed into what I didn't realize was going to be a global pandemic. And that's a tough place to be when you are working on civic literacy education and voter registration, and we're literally locked in our houses and and we're, we're afraid, right? And so that's kind of been my mission is to push people outside of the norms of what they think a pageant girl does. Of course, every social impact initiative matters so much, but I knew going into Miss Tennessee last year that my job as Miss Tennessee was going to be in a pivotal midterm election year. And there was no better time for our Miss Tennessee to travel the state and talk about voting because it's a naturally nonpartisan thing. Voting is naturally nonpartisan. And my job is not to tell you who to vote for, but it's to encourage you to show up in the first place. Totally. totally. Which begs the classic question, you know, voting is something that's personal, but why is it personal to you of all, you know, the different routes that you could have gone with having a platform why voting? Why civic literacy? What made you say this is going to be the thing for me? Well, one of the things I actually shared at Miss Tennessee on stage was a story about my father and I. And I feel like it's so, so valuable to imagine, you know, of course, you're not voting until you're 18, but there's so many ways to get involved from a very young age. And the first time my parents took me to the polls, I was four years old. And you know, I've shared many times, he held me in his arms, he carried me into, you know, our local West Side Elementary School, where 20 years later, I was a fail-safe judge and a poll worker, election worker for the presidential election, right? And everything is so full circle for me, because he let me press that big red cast your vote button. You know, it was like, voting was a part of our life. It was a habit. It was habitual. And it was a responsibility that my parents took very seriously. And what I realized is that growing up, I have entrepreneurs as parents that were very civically engaged that did not always agree with each other. And so never was it a conversation in my in my household of who to vote for. It was that it's okay to have different opinions and it's okay to, to not necessarily vote for the same people. And I actually didn't know until recently that women used to go into the voting booth with their husbands and actually read that there had to be laws to outlaw family voting with spouses because men would encourage or enforce women to vote a certain way. And I can't even imagine, like, if my significant other told me who to vote for, it, like, it'd be the end, right? I'm out the door. Um, thousand I'm percent. out the door, ladies. And I think you you really think about how is that even a reality? And, and I think my biggest part of what brought me to this and why I wanted to work on it from a statewide level and make this my social impact initiative was that I was given the opportunities. I learned the habit. But not every young student across Tennessee 
will have had their parents take them because if their parents aren't going, they don't even know about it. They don't know when it is. They don't know why it's important. And our civic literacy education in Tennessee is lacking. I think in most in the country, it's lacking. And so you can't just wait till senior year, go take a government class and call it a day. I've gone to senior classes and they don't even understand the electoral college, which is a prime example of the gaps we have in our education system. Yeah not even talking beyond civic literacy, but specifically in that way too. And so that's what brought me to it is I really wanted to bridge that gap if they didn't have those parents to do that for them. Totally. totally. And in terms we of jinxing tennis, totally again. I know. We it's really, it's going to be a thing. I mean, yeah. I don't know what, like the problem is like with jinxes and us, like I don't really like soda. So like we can't use. <laughs> yeah, we've talked like, about this. We're going to have to really. Like acai but, bowls or something? <laughs> okay, Honestly, that would yeah. be so deep for it. No, like, it would be like iced coffee. Iced coffee, oh, yeah. Iced coffee. We oh, my, my family, my brother and I growing up, like jinx is the most important thing. Like <laughs> yeah. you, you do not. It's like pinky promises and jinx. You do not break a jinx. Wait, so, I remember that. Unlocking memories for sure. But yeah, moving on and kind of talking back to about Tennessee, we touched on like how civic literacy isn't always pushed to the forefront, or at least in your experience in Tennessee. Can we kind of talk about the voter turnout there? It's generally pretty low. And especially like with the work you've already been doing kind of on the ground there, what are some of the responses you encounter in terms of like maybe why people aren't registered to vote or when you do ask them about voter registration? What is some of the like common common responses that, that you do get there? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that was the most poignant for me and why I wanted to do this, you know, I grew up doing mock trial and youth in government through the YMCA, one of my most incredible programs that shifted me and taught me respectful debate and dialogue, you know, intercollegiate state legislature in Tennessee with other college students, right? There's all these programs that push you and any student that's gone through youth in government, mock trial, FBLA, TISL, like these programs that push you to be business leaders, civic leaders, and, you know, and really engaged, those students, I feel like, get it. They've had the first glance, they've gotten the idea, they've learned how to write legislation, or they've under, they understand and respect, you know, our Congress and our legislators and what their jobs actually look like, because they've sat in those seats and they've had those mock experiences. But I think that one of the problems is in the 2016 election, Tennessee was literally 50th in voter turnout and 48th in poll wait times, which we could go into for like a decade. We could talk about poll wait times and why we should probably be like first or second in poll wait times if our turnout is that low. And so that's another total problem we have in Tennessee with polling locations or disproportionate numbers of them based on more urban or highly densely populated areas. That's a big issue of its own. But in regards to turnout, obviously 18 to 25 year olds nationwide are the least likely to vote, right? And I feel like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, especially in Tennessee, because on average, 18 year olds graduating from high school will meet zero to one politician running for office, right? Because if these students in high school or college are less likely to vote, why would a campaign put funding and time into those age demographics. 
in my opinion, that's the, what, is it the chicken or the egg? Is it that 18 to 25 year olds aren't voting and therefore we shouldn't spend money or time on our campaign there? Or is it because we're not spending any time there and these students quite literally do not think they matter and that there's no one representing them? And so I think that's a nationwide problem, obviously. That's one of the big ones we have in the Southeast and also in Tennessee. We, I will say I have had a relationship with the Secretary of State, which we could talk about more about through my advocacy work. And he's made some really cool programs and he's pushed himself to be in front of students. But what about every other politician that's either running as the incumbent? You know, they think, well, I've got in for the first time without them, so I can get in again with without speaking Such to these a common groups. theme. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think those running for re-election are even more of the problem because it's like this complacency. And therefore, these seniors in high school that I'm meeting, first, if they know about the Electoral College, they think that it really if they're not going to vote the way Tennessee typically goes, what's the point, right? And yeah. then then they're not building the habit on big elections, so they're never going to show up on small ones. And so there's so many small nuances, obviously, to this entire issue. Yeah. But I think the biggest part that I have heard firsthand is that these students just want to know that someone's like looking at them and saying, we get it, we've been around you, we see you. There's a difference between someone running for office, coming in and talking about things that are really affecting them versus coming in and making jokes about TikTok and wishing them luck Trying to be relatable, yeah. Right? Like, no, I don't want you to- It's so crazy just how politics is like, I feel like the space and like industry, if you want to call it that, that's just lacking innovation and always has and always just sticking to the status quo. And me and Sam can rant about this for oh, days yeah. on end about how like, you know, yeah, it's so true. They don't want they don't want to you know necessarily reach a new voting block or new people because especially if they're used to the status quo or their political consultants who have been around for decades think they know what's what's best. They'll just you know hit them up like put them on CNN, put them on MSNBC, put them on Fox, but not putting them in places where they are going to reach new people and where they're actually going to go and hopefully listen to students and listen to what they're what they're needing and wanting like what you just alluded to totally and i have had some conversations with organizations recently obviously i will not out them but (laughs) where their entire dialogue is like well it doesn't make sense to invest young voters they never follow through with it anymore and have and these are some of the people at these organizations are also our age and it's like guys like because you keep approaching them with the same exact tactic like if you approach us with like some really outdated facebook posts and weird branding like yeah of course it's not working because you're not in the right locations and you're not using the the right language and you're not talking about the issues that they actually care about so it's just like of course that's the outcome there's so much potential for young people in my opinion and so much to offer and can really be, you know, the change that we want to see in this country in so many different ways and facets. And ignoring, you know, what they have to say is only a problem that raises its ugly head further down the line. So yeah, that's true to me. That is very true. I have run across people who just don't really even see the point of doing it or getting involved. It's I think it's so sad that people even our age in our mid to later 20s, we're already somehow being dis- like disillusioned and disenfranchised, even if you work in this field. Yeah. Totally. That is, I think, the most terrifying part of this problem. When I was voting for the first time, 
with my family, I was 18 years old and I voted for a mayoral candidate who ended up winning. She became our first female mayor in our town's history in my rural community, north of Nashville. And she won by 14 votes. And my family was four of them. And I think to myself, if my family and a couple other people, like two other families had decided not to vote that day or yeah. that that didn't matter, or maybe they were in a place economically where they literally could not take off work, which is another yeah. big problem we have, we could have literally not had our first female mayor. Do I agree with everything she's done since she's been the mayor? No. Am I proud of the overall leadership that she has portrayed? Yes. Do you have to agree with everything to still be proud of that shift? Absolutely not. But when I talk to students, I share that story because people can feel so disenfranchised through the presidential election process yeah. that they don't even understand that these small elections in Tennessee are really truly chosen by the select few that show up and they're making the decisions for everyone in our in our area. Totally. And we story. were literally just talking about not to go totally like negative Nance, but with this guy in Indiana that won a primary and he like literally admitted to murdering his wife and the literal total of votes that were out there for him, 60 votes. And I was prefacing this earlier too, like I don't know the population size of like that particular community. Like if there's only a hundred people, you know, I, I don't know those nuances for sure. So keeping that in mind, but like 60 people, like in that type of vote, like, yeah, every freaking vote matters. Yeah. It's just crazy to, I, I mean, it's not even crazy. I see how people get to the conclusion of feeling that their vote doesn't matter. But I think what we're all doing in our conversations and, you know, through our work is really trying to change that. And I think there is so much more work to be done and where yeah. so much of this attention needs to be is on some of these state and local elections. And we're seeing yeah. that across the board for so many issues. But And it's always been the case. But I think people are really finally starting yeah. to wake up to it and hopefully – They'll tune into our podcast and then there we go. Yeah. Solution. And we always Problem say too, solved. I mean, yeah, we always say too, I mean, it's like we really don't blame people for be feeling disenfranchised or not even being involved because, A, yeah, those feelings of feeling disenfranchised or like it doesn't matter or like you don't have the voice people say you do, like those feelings are real and like honestly I don't blame people for feeling them because there's a lot of situations out there and circumstances that like yeah they do they do like oppress your vote and your vote sometimes some places doesn't matter and that's intentional as well as just like there's really not as many resources out there for young people and certain demographics of people to really feel like they are informed and prepared to even go cast their vote so there's so many so many circumstances that we're like okay yeah like we do not blame you like this is it's hard but it, we always also just say, like, it's never too late. And I think, like Sam said, there's so many people now, like, really doing amazing work to kind of bring politics into the mainstream and into people's lives yeah. in more just innovative ways. And I think that gives me hope. So we'll just yeah. keep, we'll all keep pushing, you know. Yeah. But to move on, we want to talk about your podcast because on the suffragette series podcast can you give us just the rundown of where the inspo comes from what it's all about all those all the details yeah absolutely so the suffragette series podcast came out of a vision for me to elevate female voices 
far beyond the pageantry and competition circuit and to elevate female voices in politics, in philanthropy, in pageantry, in business. I think that kind of the mission there is to also share stories of the women of the suffragette movement and the suffrage movement as a whole, right? Because Tennessee was the 36th and final state needed to ratify the 19th Amendment. And it happened in our state house. It happened in our house, right? And I've spent a lot of time in the house at the Tennessee state capitol. And to be in that room, it feels so reverent because you don't even realize that it can come down again to so few people. I mean, one yeah guy, I think he was 21 years old, a representative from East Tennessee, was anti the suffrage movement and did not think that women should have the right to vote. But he was young and he was impressionable and he trusted his mom. And his mom literally sent a strong worded letter to him and said, don't be on the wrong side of history. And it reminds me of the musical Hamilton, history has its eyes on you. And I think that in that moment, I, I think in that moment, he felt like history had his eye, their eyes on him, right? And sure we, did. <laughs> we live in this world where those margins are so small that justice and advancement and change comes from a small select group of people who sway it one way or the other. And I, I think that's where it all com- comes from, right? And so the Suffragette series is a podcast that I started before before my competition at Miss America. And it's something that I'm really excited I've, I've come back to and I've restarted. And so I, I just, I love the idea. I love the conversations I've already had. And it's brought me to people like you guys who are also doing really important work and having really important conversations. And as Miss Tennessee, I think it's just another way that I can reach people far beyond a school setting or, you know, through social media. Totally. I mean, if that doesn't go to the point that we were just talking about of actually, you know, reaching young people where they are and listening to them about what the the types of ways they want to be approached are, I mean, I don't know what, you know, what else. It's perfect. But in terms of each episode, can you walk us through what that layout looks like when people pop that podcast on, what can they expect? Yeah, so I start out every episode with a 60-second suffragette story. So I typically try to find someone from the suffrage movement who was relevant to either the industry that my guest is in or where they're from. So I had Miss Tennessee 2019-2020, Brianna Mason on. She was the first Black Miss Tennessee in history, which is equal parts phenomenal and depressing that it took that long. And so to be a part of her uh, moment in 2019 to have been there with her. I actually just went and spoke to her first grade class in a magnet school, an elementary school in Nashville, in Metro schools. And we talk about, we talk about what they do, the industry they're in and how politics and the voting process can affect that, right? So, so much comes back to legislation and I give them a platform to actually share what they truly believe. It's not a place for me necessarily to comment on if I agree with them, It's which typically I do, right? Because it's really empowered women who are working to make positive improvements. But we talk about first the story of someone who's relevant. So with Brianna's episode, I talked about Ann Dallas Dudley, who literally led marches down Broadway in Nashville all the way to the state house and helped shift the narrative when all these women came to Nashville to most of them in honor of and in support of the suffrage movement and even some against it, right? And so we talk about that, but we also talk about 
things like what they do in their advocacy work. I think everyone realizes that women are so nuanced and have so much more to them than just their career or just where they went to college, right? It's easy to get get specifically focused on a career, but someone like Brianna who worked as Miss Tennessee advocating for autism awareness and all of all of what comes with that and having someone in her family with autism, but also how she's continued that work beyond her years as Miss Tennessee. And so it's just, that's a way for us to learn more about how women have so many dynamic parts of them and to give them a chance to share each of them and how that, how it all comes back to the polls. 100%. I love that. And there is a other topic I just want to like dive in with you. I think we both do. And we want to talk about like how you chat with friends and family about voting or civic engagement or religious politics in general. We actually get asked this a lot like when we go on podcasts and yeah. we have like our answers, but I am so curious because I feel like you have an especially interesting just like background and lived experience that can probably answer this question maybe even better than we can because sometimes we're like thrown for a loop we had to actually have a therapist on one one uh, episode to help us figure out how to talk to family and friends about politics at thanksgiving oh, but i miss her i think i, I miss need her to, i'm gonna need to um get a link to that particular episode um we can give you her number too if you want yes, that's good. <laughs> i i could be, i could use that too but yeah, can you kind of explain too, like just how you, any tips and tricks you have of how to kind of communicate with friends and family about politics or bring these conversations up? You know, again, with family, it's, I feel like with family, it's like there's some tactics and then with friends, it's another. I think yeah, it's totally. kind of different and, but also important because everyone needs to be having these conversations and we need to bring them into people's lives more regularly. But again, most people are like, it's taboo. It gets heated. Nobody wants to have those conversations. So how can we start to bring them into our lives? It's absolutely a tough balance. It's a fine line to walk. I think that the biggest element to it is that they need to happen. We don't know how to come to a compromise or how to have conversation because quite literally our we don't have a, uni, a a unifying truth because literally every news source is telling a different story. Everyone has I, different facts these days. Right. And I actually have had conversations with my mom and my grandmother and they all used to watch Walter Cronkite and they all got the same information whether yeah. that was bad or good there was some unifying fact in the way that news worked. There was off time of news. There was not a 24 hour news cycle. And there was so much integrity within the within the media because they literally would get called out so quickly for it if it was not correct because everyone was working together to get it onto like one to two news stations, right? right? And so my mission, I think, and what I would encourage people to do is to recognize there's a difference between starting the conversation and fighting about it. And so to have conversations in ways where you should not just surround yourself with yes men, you should not just surround yourself with people who voted for the same person for, for president, right? It's okay to have differing opinions and it's okay to not necessarily vote for the same people. But if you're unwilling to have conversations about it and approach them with respect and make it a dialogue and not a debate, that's where we're losing people. And so my biggest my biggest suggestion is 
to come from where you feel like there is that small sliver of unity and work from there, right? It's don't start with the headline, start with how are you feeling about this? What do you know? And how can we find a dialogue rather than a debate? We're in a place right now where it's a turning point and it's scary because we're getting to a point where like we can't even communicate. I think it comes partially from polarization in news and media and politics, but also in social media becoming literally the only tool and the newest generation knows how to use. And so how do we bridge the gap in this newest generation of voters? How do I go in to classrooms and remind these students that it's a nonpartisan issue. This voting in general is naturally nonpartisan, right? And I, I harp on that because it's so true. When I was visiting a second grade class in a rural community in West Tennessee, I I talked about voting and I talked about personal choice. And I asked these kids who got to pick what they wear to school today, right? And some of them raised their hands and some of them didn't. And I said, guess what? Yeah, it's choice, right? You get to choose who got to choose what they wanted to eat for lunch. And some of them raised their hand and some of them didn't. And I asked if anyone knew, give me an example of someone that your parents vote for. One of the kids in the front row, they said the president, right? And we had talked about the American flag and the importance of that and what it represented. And then a kid in the back stood up on his chair and started chanting Trump, right? Like they are parrots. They're mm-hmm. going to repeat whatever you say. And so I got really disappointed in whoever's in his community or his family or his, you know, whoever is around him, because obviously outside of school, people are doing that around him and he is parroting that in his classroom. Yeah. yeah. And so those are just like small examples of the students that you meet in a job like this, Tennessee, because they they are aware and they're listening. And it's our job as future potential parents or people listening who are parents or teachers to create communities that are free from that kind of work. Or even just like being friends or family with anybody and I think that kind of just ties into the point of like we need to have these conversations more regularly and obviously kids are very impressionable and you know how you parent is going to be so crucial of how you know they act moving forward but it's just so true that like that peer influence is is so real and be it again the parent to kid relationship or just between two friends you know, the more we have these productive conversations about politics and how to be impactful positively and respectfully, then, you know, the better we'll all be like these individual kind of conversations and relationships around politics. We all need to probably be better at and bring to the forefront. But absolutely. um, I also have a geographic question for my like totally haven't been to Tennessee yet self what is like the difference between west and east Tennessee like is one more like urban is one more rural like is there like do people like kind of like reference like oh yeah like we're out in west Tennessee like how does that go yeah so honestly it's like urban area or farming community what I love is that I grew up in a small rural community called Robertson County Springfield it's about 30 miles north of Nashville but then I went to college at Belmont University in Nashville, right? And so what's cool is that I feel like I can talk well to these, you know, agricultural communities and I understand the importance of ag 
to our to our state. But I also understand tourism and music and healthcare, which come often from these more urban areas. And so um, East Tennessee is where, you know, Dollywood is. It's the mountains. It's okay. really beautiful, but it also Sounds has like, a okay. lot. Now yeah, I know. Very rural. Yeah. So I'm like, going like, right to Dollywood. Dollywood. Yeah. You. <laughs> you say Dollywood, I say bought by ticket. But no, it's so East Tennessee is beautiful and it is very, it can be very rural. And it, there is also a lot of tourism involved in that. And it's just absolutely beautiful, right? In the mountains. East, West Tennessee is more, is very rural. It's much more agricultural. There's a lot of cotton. There's a lot of tobacco and soybean, stuff like that. Yeah, but that's okay. also where Memphis is, right? So Memphis is on the southwest border, kind of right across the river from Arkansas, actually. So then in the middle, middle Tennessee is where I'm from, which is Nashville. And Nashville, of course, has its own massively growing, super, super fast growing community. But really, it's just any 20 miles outside of any urban area in Tennessee, you're going to find rural communities that have really small populations, really big hearts. But again, where are they getting their information? How do we help them in our education system with improved civic literacy education? Where do we fill the gap? What are they telling their kids? And how do we just bridge the gap so that they understand, these students understand that it's not just, you know, going with whatever you think Tennesseans should believe. It's have your own opinion and it's okay wherever you land. I love Dolly. AKA well, God bless the flag of Dolly Parton. Sorry. Anyways, back <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely need to make a trip, and I've never been either. So definitely Lady, on the bucket list. Get get over here. Oh, we're you coming. Guys are always welcome. We're coming. But to wrap it up, it's an election year, as as we as we know. Some people don't, but it is. And so, can you kind of highlight some what? <laughs> yeah, some voting dates and deadlines in Tennessee that people need to know about, and any other kind of voter information that might be helpful for people. Yeah, so we actually just had a primary election on May 3rd. And speaking back to turnout problems, I was actually with a county administrator of elections on Friday last week. And she said, well, we had 14% turnout. And I was like, she sounds like that's a good thing. And so obviously there's a lot of room to grow. I think that's what the point yeah. is about all of this and all the the work that our Secretary of State's office is doing, that I'm doing that to really improve that. So we just had the May 3rd election we also have an election, obviously, on Thursday, August 4th. I believe the, I had it written down, the election early voting starts July 15th, and voter registration deadline is July 5th. These are primary elections for governor, U.S. House of Representatives, Tennessee State for odd-numbered districts, House of Reps, and then executive committee men and committee women for all districts and some other smaller things. So that's in August. And then Tuesday, November 8th is, of course, our state general election and our federal general election. That's our midterm elections, the ones that we're all kind of ramping up for. And our voter registration deadline for November 8th is Tuesday, October 11th, early voting starting October 19th. And specifically something I'm very, very passionate about, absentee ballot request deadline for the November election is Tuesday, November 1st. Yes. And absentee ballots are a very, very important thing, especially in Tennessee, because what I would like to see changed is that Tennessee currently, if you register through something like vote.org, if it's not in person or with an elections officer, you are not eligible for absentee ballots until you vote in person, which can drastically disenfranchise out-of-state college students. That's really good to know. Did not vote yet because they literally were not old enough and also go away to college. And so 
I have not posted a lot about third-party registration platforms because I'm afraid that students will get pigeonholed. And unfortunately, it's a big problem in my opinion. It's cited to be against voter fraud. I understand the premise, but I think there's room for improvement on that. And so absentee ballot deadlines are so important. And also if you're an out-of-state college student from a state that has that type of rule, I encourage I would encourage them to talk to their counselors at their school or their dean of students at their college to find out if they can financially afford to, that if they can get permission to go home to vote if they if they have not yet voted and they're not eligible for absentee. That is wild. Wow. I so good to know. I did so not know So good that. to know. I think I've made like a TikTok video on Tennessee's election dates and deadlines, and I did not know that. And I'm sure there's other states you would think that have probably something similar in line. So that's really good to know. We'll definitely do some research on that and make sure we have that information as well. But amazing. Thank you. Where else can people find you? Instagram, social media, all the things. Yeah, through June 25th of this year, 2022, I will still be manning the at Miss America TN account. You can literally type at Miss America and then the state initials and you can find any of us across the country and connect with them, which is so cool. Follow along with the next Miss Tennessee as well. We are coming to a close. I have not slowed down. We have some really cool things coming. Some new work with the Secretary of State's office for the first time officially this year. I've got coming down the pipeline and some election worker advocacy work for a campaign coming up. So that'll all be on that. And then my personal account is at the Nashville Blondie. And so I I can also be found there on Instagram. And the Suffragette Series podcast is on pretty much every platform you can find this podcast, which is super cool. And it's continuing to grow. And uh, I look forward to continuing to do it far beyond my Miss Tennessee tenure. And then it's former life for me. So that's that's where you can find me. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. We are super excited for everyone to listen into this conversation and of course, keep it going. And catch us on your podcast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ladies. Thank you so much. I am really so inspired by all you guys do. And and this is just the beginning, ladies. We've got a lot in store. Yes. Thank you. All right. Top stories of the week. Kicking it off is... The gun reform bill that has moved through the Senate. We talked about it a little bit last week, but there's been some movement. So the race to turn the framework negotiated by senators into legislative text is on as lawmakers push for a vote to be held before the July 4th recess and to pull more GOP support to the bill's side in the meantime. Senator John Cornyn of Texas, the lead GOP negotiator, told reporters on Monday that he wants text of the legislation this week. That move would allow Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer (laughs) to put the bill on the floor next week before the upper chamber leaves town. The Texas Republican added that there is no price tag of the proposal yet, adding that it would likely be partly paid for by unused money for the infrastructure project that is, quote, left over and cannot be used by the or for the bipartisan infrastructure law that passed last year. So a little reallocation of funding. And then currently in the agreement is the strengthening of background checks when people age 18 to 20 try to buy firearms. The required federal background check would for the first time include their juvenile crime and mental health records. This will allow time for getting data from state and local authorities. The process current three-day maximum would be extended to up to seven more days. And once the 10-day lapse, the buyer could get the weapon, even if the record search is incomplete. So there's a little background. Samantha, you want to take us home? Well, currently dealers considered 
in the business, in the biz, of selling guns are required to get federal firearms licenses. Such yeah. sellers must conduct background checks. Interesting. Bargainers want to cover more people who, while not running a formal business, occasionally sell weapons. Those numbers are not a coincidence. They signal potentially enough support for the passage by the 50-50 Senate, where Democrats will need at least 10 GOP backers to reach the usual 60-vote threshold. Besides Murphy, the other lead negotiators were, of course, Senators John Corn, or not, of course, but just has been in this conversation, so y'all are probably familiar at this point. <sighs> Good old cinema and Tom Tillis. Approval in the Democratic-run House is expected, though complications could always emerge. <sighs> yeah. I got some thoughts I on have the situation. Thoughts. Yeah, my thoughts are still kind of from my like, thoughts on last week. Like, I just, you know, this just doesn't fully cut it. It obviously is a step forward. Everyone's excited for the step forward. We've never had the step forward before, but it's like, Again, I'm so worried that it's not going to be enough and this shit will still happen. And then Republicans will have an out and an excuse totally. to be like, look, we passed gun reform. What else do you want from us? And that's why I think or it's it doesn't like, work. Like, yeah, it doesn't work. And that's why I think it's so crucial that if we do pass something like it has to be aggressive. And that's why I'm like, Joe Biden. What I you think with that executive order pen? But I don't I just really don't think the executive orders are really going to do much in this particular context, to be honest. But I do think like one, this is a step. And I think the push like the strategy in my head is that like have to continue pushing even after this gets passed, which still people need to be calling their reps right now for even this to get passed. Yeah. Keeping that pressure on of anything happening. Why I do think this is important is this particular piece of legislation does address the boyfriend loophole. And that is not something I expected to come through on this. So I will say that is definitely a notched win in my head because that's been something that people have been trying to get solved for quite some time. So mm -hmm. I will definitely notch that as win. But I, I think this should continue to be a push for people to turn out and vote in our elections happening now in primaries and also in November because we need to continue electing more people more representatives that are pro gun reform because yeah this is not going to be a especially given what has gone around this particular legislation this is not going to be a one and done moment it can't yeah. be a one and done moment it's not a one size fits all problem yeah. or solution i'm just worried it will be because the republicans yeah. will compromise i mean i don't because it's like not as much as they know that we need and then it'll just be this the scapegoat for honestly it seems like forever but yeah i mean i think senators. we're still gonna totally i think we're still call gonna continue to see gun violence like i don't think yeah this is the solve for it i think it's partial solves partial solutions for some things that'll help yeah to varying degrees but yeah so call 202-224-3121 to call your senators call other people's senators is it against the rules? I don't know. I do it. Call all the senators and show your support for gun reform and passing this legislation. Again, let me just read that one more time. It's 202-224-3121. It literally takes 45 seconds. So go get it. That's um, Maddie's infomercial, FYI. I know. I really felt like I was like career? QVC. <laughs> okay. So yeah. next story is these January 6th hearings that it kicked off last week. So the House panel investigating January 6th. 
made its case in the second hearing Monday. The first one was Thursday, last Thursday, that several of Trump advisors warned him against making false claims of widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election that he lost, but the president would not listen. And so the nine-member panel is trying to make the case that Trump and those allies who helped him were deliberately lying as he pushed those election falsehoods in weeks ahead of the violent insurrection. So the rioters who broke into the Capitol that day and interrupted the certification of President Biden's victory were echoing Trump's lies that he, not Biden, rightfully won the election. So again, we know this, we've heard this a hundred times, but here are some of the takeaways. So one of the takeaways was that Trump's mind was made up the whole time and that like nobody could could sway him. And so in a series of video clips from the committee's closed door interviews, several of Trump's advisors testified that they told him repeatedly he should not declare that there was widespread election fraud and that those claims were false. But Trump increasingly relied on wild theories that were pushed by Trump's lawyers, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, among others, according to testimony. So that was one of the one of the little takeaways. Samantha? That was one of the takeaways. Can we also just talk about how Giuliani was drunk? Sorry. Just side note. <laughs> side note. He's probably Anyways, always drunk. I, that's the thing. I When I saw that came like come through, I was honestly LOLing Not more than anything. I was like, yeah, I was like, hello, we got four seasons, but nonetheless. So we had what's called a blunt talk from Barr. We love a little play on words moment. So former Attorney General William Barr told the committee in a closed-door interview that the president was increasingly becoming detached from reality after the election. See, my question is, after? Just after we were detached. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. I get it. I get it. I get it. The committee aired video from interviews with Barr in which he detailed this, in which he detailed his conversations with Trump before and after his December 1 declaration to the Associated Press that there was no evidence of widespread voter fraud in the election. Barr gave Trump detailed explanations for why some of his theories were false. You just can't convince a man in denial. Like you just said, can't. detached from reality. Okay. We've been there. Okay. That's. <laughs> <laughs> next, next takeaway that. is called the big ripoff. Let's hear about this. So members of the committee and an investigative council detailed how Trump and his allies raised hundreds of millions off of Trump's false claims after the election, an election defense fund to contend to contest the outcome actually ended up retiring debt, replenishing the RNC and starting a massive campaign war chest that Trump now has, which I'm so glad they raised this point because I remember when all of this was happening and he had this like, he was raising all this money like after the election that ultimately just paid off his campaign debt. Um, that's really why he was doing it. So I love that this is being called out. I remember us talking about that too, which feels yeah. like forever Literally ago. so long ago. Yeah. Which, like, just, like, side note. So we're ahead again. of our time. Again. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We are. Wow. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. But I do feel like regardless of all of these things, and we'll get to the end result in a second, that, aka, I'm skipping ahead yet again, <laughs> is the fact that I just feel like this took too long to be put together. Because I don't, look, I don't even know if the appetite would have been there if, say, this were March last year. I, I really don't know. This stuff, like, often falls on deaf ears. But I feel like this really, despite the 20 million people that viewed it on, like, day one, the drop-off is huge, in my opinion. And I think it's just really hard to concentrate on. It's, like, people reliving a trauma and a trauma that's also theirs. It's not, like, I, I don't know. It, I, yeah. I just feel it's, like it's, like, oh, wow, yes, of course they were fucked up. It's validating the people that already believe this yeah. and the people that don't believe this still don't believe this because Fox news. 
Yeah. So, uh, who, by the way, was not airing any of the hearings yeah. and has no. Which point. is just like, how could you be any type of like journalistic organization with journalistic integrity? I am doing all the air quotes right now. And yeah. feel as though you're not going to cover one of the most, like, probably historic hearings in Congress, maybe ever. <laughs> like, it's just embarrassing for you, Fox News. Like, grow up. Sorry, end result. Let's hear it. End result. Okay. End result is to close the hearing. The committee aired video of Trump supporters in Washington airing the false claims of fraud on January 6th. They all appeared certain that the election was stolen. Two of them repeated Powell's false assertions about voting machines that changed the results. Claims that Barr had debunked weeks earlier. So that's where we're at currently. That's where we're at. More to come. More More to come indeed. Hopefully some more tea. We love some screenshots and we have gotten that from these hearings, which is great. We've gotten some new content, (laughs) some fresh content never been seen. So yeah, we will keep everyone updated on what comes from this, but those are some takeaways Mm. as of, as of, yeah. But you know what people can do in the meantime? Everyone can also go listen to our episode with Public Wise's executive director because Christina walked us through what they created, which is called the Insurrection Index. And Mm -hmm. this is an entire database of people that were involved in a variation of ways in the insurrection from people that are elected officials, you know, working behind the scenes to people that were at the Capitol that day, the whole nine yards. It is a tea spiller. And also just like a fun activity. It's a fun mm-hmm. freaking activity. Get to know the insurrectionists, you know. Yes. <laughs> yep. There's lots of tea on the insurrection index indeed. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for more, that's a great place to go and go listen to that mm-hmm. epi. But next story. Primaries. Whoa. Primaries. Primaries. We gotta go week. to Nevada. We gotta go. Let's go. Let's go to Vegas. Trump endorsed. Tru- oh, well. Honestly. No offense to any of our Vegas listeners, but I have no interest in ever going to Vegas. None. Have you ever been? And I, no. And I am so fine with that. Now, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. One, I don't like gambling. No hate to anyone that does. So not my thing. I think it's the most boring thing ever. Second of all, I don't like places without windows. And like, I want water, but not like a gross pool. If I'm going to go to a, like, you never go in the pool. pool. Never. Like, oh. And then I saw this TikTok the other day of, like, someone was, like, testing the water quality Ugh, on, like, some of the major know. pools. It was so bad. I never go and... in the pool. No, it's true. I honestly, like, I've done I've done Vegas many, many a trips. They've been so fun. Was I 21 and 22 and 23? Yeah. Am I now a grandma on 26? Yeah. And I don't need to do those anymore. But if you are like the tw- that age like please like go 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 i mean i still respect the hell out of vegas um we love you guys and nevada you have a very important state politically so mm-hmm. we love you um so maybe we'll just get into that but <laughs> nevada primaries um basically what to look for this week trump endorsed adam um Lagzalt. is that how we're saying it it literally sounds like it's about to be laxative and then it just no. stops yeah and then it just like veers off L-A-X-A-L-T, is the leading GOP candidate to take on vulnerable Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. 
um, in November and lacks salt. <laughs> it's also backed by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and other top national Republicans. Um, so we'll be have we'll have eyes on there on that race for sure um, in Nevada. I don't, I don't think any of that sentence was a sentence. Well, we're gonna run with it. <laughs> There's some information there you guys can take if you want. Take it or leave it. Veteran Sam Brown is also Lag Zaltz. Why are we using his last name? Adam. That's his first name. We're going to go with that. Adam's main rival in the race. Um, While some recent coverage reported Brown surging in the primary, Adam is still heavily favored. So, again, that's the GOP side. And then, again, um, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto is the Democrat. And so in November, it's looking like she's she's getting a, a real challenge. So eyes there for sure. That could eyes that alone could change the power Nevada. in the Senate. So Wowie. there it is. Take us to South Carolina, Samantha. All right, South Carolina. Talking to you. Talking to you. So one of the most watched contests of the day of the day, aka Tuesday, June fourteenth. Also known as Flag Day, by the way. Fun fact. Anyways. Representative Tom Rice, Republican who voted to impeach former President Donald Trump, and one faces off against Trump-endorsed state rep Russell Fry. Any ketchups with that fry? <laughs> Wait, ketchups isn't even plural. Any Sam? Any ketchup? Sam. I'm gonna. Guys, um, no, I'm please good. just forget that she just said that. I don't even like ketchup either. So this the fact and- that you made the joke, but not only did you make the joke, but you made ketchup plural. <laughs> so let's just let's just keep it moving at that point sending okay well you know racist (laughs) impeachment vote has become the campaign's main issue while fry's messaging plays up trump's endorsement at every turn rice has stood by his vote to impeach trump following the january 6th insurrection watch like a very interesting interview by him the other day and i was like "Mm." anyways notably former speaker paul ryan so much context. Pro- profound. Mm. <laughs> profound thoughts coming from you. Notably, former Speaker Paul Ryan, who I had fortunately forgotten about until this moment, has traveled to Rice's district to campaign for the incumbent. South Carolina's first district Republican primary, Rep. Nancy Mace, is also the subject of a Trump-endorsed primary challenge in her low country district. Mace, who drew Trump's ire. That sounds so medieval. So like, medieval. Is I uh, it's giving Shrek. Like whatever. Which I love. Oh my- we love Which Shrek. I love. Anyways. Oh God, okay. Regardless of Shrek, the ire. When she condemned his role in the insurrection, it's <laughs> facing off against former state rep Katie Errington. Well, that's also so like Errington of Arendelle. Okay. That's and giving Errington. Errington defeated by former rep Joe Cunningham, a Democrat in the 2018 general election, has slammed Mace as a woke liberal. Snowflake. So snowflake. While looking looking at the Senate in South Carolina, mm-hmm. the U.S. Senate, that is, by the way. Um, so three women are competing for the Democratic nomination to take on U.S. Senator Tim Scott. NRA funded, um, who said this will be his last term if he is reelected. Interesting. I do think. Yeah, we have yeah. fucking what's his name in wherever who's eighty eight. Ready, ready. <laughs> like, like, look at this. Like, he's he's a middle aged man being like, no, this will be my last term. Love. I that just don't believe him. him. I just well, don't no. believe him. True, That's true. the thing. 
Yeah. Scott so. has no Republican opposition and has raised $44 million for his second full six-year term. His Democratic opponents are a state rep from the Charleston area, a local Democrat, Democratic leader from Spartanburg, and an author and pres- preservationist from Columbia. Combined, they have raised about $130,000 for the primary, again, compared to his $44 million. And then Scout touts his conservative cre- uh, credentials and got a primetime speech at the 2020 Republican National Convention. But he has you also. Scott? What did I say? Scout. <laughs> I did, didn't I? I said Scout. Scott Touts. It was like Scout. <laughs> that equal Scott and Touts equals Scout. <laughs> I'm dead. Honestly, it works. Vibe, it's called. I that's vibe. just called like speaking efficiently. You know, just blending the words together to make it go faster. Uh, you're welcome. Everyone. I love the strategy. Just like it's making it more concise. You know. Um. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but he also Scott Scout also noted his work with democrats on police reform legislation so those are you know some of the candidates and some of their campaign platforms but heading to maine 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 we have some great maniacs that listen to this podcast so hi guys hey Hey, what's up hello so u.s house rep jared golden democrat is one of the most endangered incumbents in the county golden's new district country for trump by Damn it. So Sam and I can't See, read today. We <laughs> can't. Back to Maine. So the race to face off against Golden features former rep Bruce Poliquin, Republican, and Liz Caruso. Poliquin represented Maine in the House for two terms before losing to Golden in the 2018 midterms. Interesting. So we'll see what happens there. Dun, 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 dun. Then... Let's head over to governor's race. Democratic Governor Janet Mills and her challenger, former Republican Governor Paul LePage. I thought we turned the page on him. I've been waiting all day to say that. I've been waiting all day. Wow. But we're here. I look know. at you. Really, look, at, look at us. But anyways, 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 anyways. How many times can I say that? Are both unopposed in their respective primaries and looking ahead to the November elections. We kind of know, obviously, where today's primary, if you will, will land. But this will be an interesting matchup. Mills has touted her handling of the state pandemic for allowing the state to recover and to return the bulk of a $1.2 billion surplus to taxpayers in the form of $850 relief checks. I honestly do really love that as a policy. Just saying, side note. LePage, who's seeking a third term, he's criticized what he describes as Mills' heavy-handed executive decrees. Again, what is this? The medieval times? I can't say medieval. (laughs) Anyways, during the COVID-19 pandemic and one-time budget gimmicks gimmicks there's Maine for you for on our all our maniacs that's vote and to bring us home North Dakota is the other state that has a primary this week and so North Dakota U.S. Senator John Hoven's quest for a third term in the highly conservative state hasn't been nearly as smooth as his previous runs he has seen as a shoo-in um Tuesday for this Tuesday Republican primary and so he faces Riley Kuntz which there is another candidate in Missouri Running for Senate with the same last name. But is it with a T? Spelled differently. Yeah. It's, but it's yeah, probably pronounced the spelled same. Spelled differently. And I did not realize. So, guys, you know how, like, we get our stories from AP, et cetera. Looking at this, I shoo-in is spelled like that? I guess. I literally thought it was shoe. I mean, that's what makes I-N. sense because your shoe is in, in the door. You know, your shoe is. Yeah, shoe-in. As opposed yep. to. Well, I guess you could be, like, shoe-shoe. You got your foot in the door. Your shoe-in. Like, you know when someone's, like. <laughs> 
Anyways, um, Riley Koontz, again, is running against Hoven, and he's an oil field worker and a poorly funded political newcomer. And then Democrats um, endorsed- That's a brutal description. Yeah. Brutal. Democrats endorsed Katrina Christensen, a University of Jamestown engineering professor for Senate. She faces a largely unknown challenger. I know this is kind of harsh. <laughs> In Tuesday's primary. Fuck? Fargo MP. art and antiques dealer Michael Steele. But Republican contests for more than two dozen legislative seats may help lure voters to the polls. And GOP Governor Doug Burgum, who doesn't face re-election until 2024, donated more than $1.2 million ahead of Tuesday's primary, largely to a political action committee that is focused on defeating Republican far-right candidates or those who do not agree with his spending initiatives and policy goals. A banker and former Democrat, Hoven, won both of his previous Senate terms with more than 76% of the vote. He switched parties four years before a successful gubernatorial run in 2000. He's the only North Dakota governor to win three four-year terms. He resigned in uh, December 2010, in the middle of his third term, after winning his Senate seat. And so he's raised more than $3.2 million for Senate camp- for this, his Senate campaign leading up to Tuesday's primaries. Kuntz raised less than $5,000. <laughs> Three point two million versus five thousand. I how is that? That just like shouldn't be allowed. That is the biggest gap I've ever seen ever. I, um, I have one quick comment on it. Yeah. And that is because I was looking at a lot of the Texas primary winners. I know Texas primaries a while ago, there were a few runoffs that were recent, but regardless, just like looking through the winners this morning and some of the districts decided to like cancel their democratic primary like way back when, earlier in the year, because they didn't have anyone that either qualified for the ballot or was running and like so much of that is a part of the fact that they won't be able to raise the money to run a campaign that makes any sense and it's just like so insane that it's like okay well you're not going to have certain people run because they they can't raise the money yeah and it's like that just shouldn't be whatever okay again rant we don't have time for this rant (laughs) Um, And then on the Democratic side, Christensen raised over $21,000 and still raised um, $2,100. So it's so interesting to see the money disparities. But um, anyways, those are the primaries this week. So keep your eye on it. If you're in any of those states, make sure you go vote. If you have any voting questions, please let us know. Subscribe on YouTube, even if you don't like listen or watch this podcast on YouTube. If you can go subscribe, that's super helpful for us to like continue to find new people and grow. And then speaking of growing and finding new people, send Girl on the Gov, the podcast and Girl on the Gov social media channels to all of your friends in your circle. Um, It is an election year and everyone needs to start their political learning up again and be ready to vote. So this is a great way for you to have some political impact um, by sharing a resource like Girl on the Gov around to your friends. Um, go check out girlonthegov.com to learn about the Brand Ambassador program where you can join a community of like-minded women talking about politics, sharing resources, getting networking opportunities, resume boosters, and more. And go to girlonthegov.com slash vote to pledge to vote, check your registration, register to vote, and request an absentee ballot. So yeah, and also plug all of that stuff into your social media, your IG bios, and post stories, link it, all the things because we need everyone registered and ready to go this year and we got resources for you um i do have one note and that is because we have a lot of new yorkers that listen to this podcast and as some of you may know we have a very confusing primary situation on our hands aka two dates different races Mm -hmm. per primary june 28th and august 23rd i recently found this out that basically if you request an absentee ballot you have to vote by absentee ballot you can't go and vote in person Mm. So if you did that, just be aware that that is what you're going to do. 
if otherwise you have to vote day of with an affidavit ballot. So anyways, I'm still waiting for my absentee ballot to come in. So I was thinking in my head, oh, maybe I can like go vote in person, whatever. Turns out I can't do that. Um, so also can missing I ballot. Can New LOL. York? Yeah, Board of Elections here. Not great. Not disappointed. Great. Well, good point. Good. Glad you raised that. So New Yorkers, if you have questions, you do have a very confusing primary season. So slide on in and ask all your voting, all your voting cues. But that is it for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be talking to you all next Wednesday. Woo! Toodles. Toodles. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.